0: Uh, My name is Sammy. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Sammy Rhodes. I'm the campus minister here. In this semester, we're going to be doing a study. We're calling it Love in the Ruins, and we're doing a study in the Gospel of John. And basically what we're doing is uh, I love the Gospel of John because I think it gives us the best, clearest picture of what the uh, love of Jesus toward us looks like in action, up close and personal, and then also forming from that what it looks like to follow Jesus into loving Uh, the folks around you the way that Jesus loves you. And so that's what we're going to be spending our semester doing. It's really looking at love, Jesus showing up uh, in love in this broken world and what that looks like, what that means for us, what it looks like. And to dive in tonight, we're going to start, we're just going to dive right in. John chapter 1, we're going to do verses 1 to 14. So if you have a Bible with you or it's actually printed in the inside of your handout, John 1, we're looking at 1 through 14. I'm reading from the ESV. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness was not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Can to pray for us? And I want to unpack this for a little while together tonight. And let's pray first. Our Lord, we, do, we thank you that you have brought us here. We thank you, especially tonight, for new faces. We thank you that they are not new faces to you. Um, we thank you for old faces, too, that they are here again. Um, and, Lord, we praise you for the ways that you love to bring us together. And then you love uh, through each other, through our singing and through the preaching of your word and through our fellowship, to uh, use us to point each other back to you. And so, Lord, I pray uh, tonight... Lord Christ, that you would take this sermon, that you would take everything we're doing, not just tonight, but this semester, and Lord, would you use it in powerful and beautiful ways, not that we would get any glory or feel, pat ourselves on the back or feel successful, Lord, but that you might become more believable and that you might become more beautiful to us and that our hearts would be drawn to you, the one who made us and loves us, the one who came for us as our Savior, and the Savior of sinners like us. So Lord, we pray that you would take tonight and make it that to us. We pray. We pray these things for Christ in your name. Amen. So 2018 has been a wild ride. I don't know uh, wherever you come out politically or whatever your personal kind of take on life was. I think we can all agree that 2018 has been pretty crazy in a lot of ways. Uh, my favorite tweet that I think summed it up, at least what a lot of us feel, was by one of my favorite Twitter uh, Twitterers, I guess you would call it. name's Kelly Oxford, and she said, I'm not sure if I'm depressed or if it's 2018. And that's how it felt for a lot of us. But I think one little beacon of hope that is happening uh, is the return of the rom-com. So if you're my age, 38 years old, pushing 40, been around a while, I lived in the heyday of the rom-com at its peak. Right? Like, The Notebook was when I was in college. There were probably one too many Catherine Heigl movies. Uh, You know, just, it was just a string it was what movies were kind of in my college days but 2018 I think they've made a comeback I don't know if you got a chance to see Crazy Rich Asians great film highly recommend it it does it right especially the ending or if you've seen uh, I haven't seen this one yet on Netflix but um, uh, to my all the boyfriends I've loved before apparently is that what it's called okay cool Uh, and apparently Netflix plan zone it was so successful they're doing more and more of this and so I asked a question in 2018 to this room, is this the year that we're finally ready to love again? Is this the year where our hearts are maybe a little bit open to that sweet thing that we call love? Now, here's where this is. Part of me was glad to see the rom com go away. Here's why. I think we as a nation and we as a people and you specifically us, we make an idol out of love. And I think we are uh, discovering the beauties of, like, the love of friendship. Like, I'm still waiting for The Bachelor spinoff that's like The Bachelor in Waffle House. And it's not about romantic love at all. It's just about, you know, adults trying to become friends, (laughs) the awkwardness of learning how to love your friends, which is a real thing. I always tell, especially my, my interns, if you're fresh out of college, I always say, listen, making friends as an adult is worse than dating. Right? Because you're still having to be so intentional and you're putting yourself out there. And you're, you're basically asking this friend on a date. And I think we've grown in that the love of friendship. Um, but I think we're still tempted to think about love as a noun. And so a lot of us come to college, especially, waiting for love to happen to us, right? We're waiting, whether it's for waiting for your one true soulmate, whether it's waiting for that magic spark connection that you experience. Uh, We're waiting, we think about love as a noun, we're waiting passively for it to happen to us. And I think what is beautiful about this text and what is beautiful about the Gospel of John and challenging is it says that we think about love wrongly. That love really is a verb. That love really is something we get in the Gospel of John this semester, we get to see Jesus verb loving everyone that he comes across. And the beauty of that is we get to put ourselves we are the people that he is loving. We are the people that he still loves in the same way, but we also get to see an example of what it means like what it looks like for us to love one another. That's why Jesus said, "How are the world going to know that we belong? How is, how is the world going to know that you belong to me?" By the way that you love each other. You're not waiting. We treat love like a noun that we're waiting for it to happen, but Jesus is inviting us tonight especially to think about love as a verb. And what I want to do is I'll, the opening of John is fascinating because it really is like a trailer, it's like a preview to the rest of the book. And so it sets up in this like beautiful way to kind of show us where this book is going. So I want to do there's three things I want to point out tonight about this prologue, is what it's called uh, in the Gospel of John, John 1. Here's the first one it's a story. The first thing you've got to get about John 1, the text we read, is it is a story. There is no mistake that John begins this thing with those classic words in the beginning. If you were a Jewish listener or Jewish reader, you would have known exactly what he's doing. He's taking us back to the very beginning of the world in Genesis. He's taking us back to the very beginning of everything. And he's trying to show us something both about himself and about ourselves. He could have, in our day, he could have done something like once upon a time, right? Or he could have done something like in a world. That seems to be like a famous one in previews. But he's taking us back to the beginning. John is a story. He's trying to tell us this is a story he's about to tell. And he's going to give us the preview in this passage tonight. This is where I think it's fascinating how many origin stories, if you're like a Marvel person or a DC comic person, bless your heart, um, that basically we have all this rash and have for years of origin stories. So whether it's like Logan, even like the most recent Spider-Man, there's a Venom movie coming out, you want to get real nerdy, or if you're into Aquaman, which I kind of want to see just for the amazingness that there's going to be a movie about Aquaman, because I've never seen that before, but we're into these origin stories, why? Because they're trying to show us how this person became this person. How things became the way they became. And John is doing something a little bit similar. He's trying to show you and me our origin story. Where is it that we come from? Does it matter? What, how do we make sense of ourselves? Because the thing he's trying to say is if you don't understand where you come from, we, we do this with each other. That's why I awkwardly ask every freshman, I'm sorry, I'm going to do it probably a couple more times. Hey, where are you from again? And sometimes it's like, you know, it's just an awkward encounter, but let's just brace ourselves and we'll make it together. But we, are, we have to know where we come from if we're going to know anything truly about ourselves. And Jesus is showing this, us this tonight. Um, I love the way – this is what he's saying. It's a radical claim. He's saying – I like the way that one guy wrote it. He said this. He said basically if we had this powerful microscope and we could get into not just our DNA to look at our DNA strands, but we could look at you know, this powerful – microscope and just get right into the spiritual nature of our DNA strands that we would see something like, you know, made by Jesus Christ. And part of what the radical claim Jesus is saying is he's saying part of what we have to understand about ourselves is that he made us and we belong to him. That that just by the virtue of being born in his image, that we are his. Whether we don't know him, whether we're rebelling against him, whether we don't even believe in him. It's a radical claim that John is saying. If you're going to understand yourself, you're going to have to understand Jesus. And we're also going to show you to understand Jesus, you're going to have to understand yourself. This is the way, thinking about, though, that this means, here's what this means, John is saying, is that you are worthy of love. Because you were made by God for God, you are are inherently worth and worthy of love. You're worth being loved, and you're worthy of love. Now, here's, if you're like me, I think, you know, I always hear people talk about our greatest fear is death. I think that is a huge fear that a lot of us carry about in ways that we don't even know. But I think there's an even greater fear. And I think if you're like me, your greater fear is that you're not worthy of love. That you're not worthy of being seen and heard and noticed and moved toward, especially by God himself. And John 1 is saying that's not true. That in, in the fine print, in the, the, the tag, I, I got this, uh, I was going to the game Saturday, and I went and got this shirt because I needed a new game day shirt. And the first thing I do when I get a shirt is I check the tag, where is it made, right? And Jesus is saying, listen, if you could check the tag of your, of your heart, if you could check the tag of your DNA of, of you, I'm all over it. And that means that you are worthy of love, but it also means your roommate is worthy of love. It also means that person who is in the front row of the class that does this the whole time is worthy of love. It also means that person who doesn't look a thing like you and has no connection to your background is worthy of love. It also means that person that you want to pass by on the street and not even ask their name or dignify their humanity is worthy of love. It means the person that you fly by in the Russell house who's behind the scenes is worthy of love. What I mean by that is worth knowing and loving and moving toward. Here's the way that C.S. Lewis said it. You know, I was going to be in there somewhere. Here's what he said. He said, it may be possible you've probably heard this before, but I'll say it again because I love it. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. And Lewis is saying, listen, because we come from because we were made by Jesus for Jesus, we are inherently worthy of love. So first thing, this is the story. This is the beginning. This is where we come from. But the second thing we see is it's not just a story, it's a sad story. This story has that it has that classic rom-com plot line. It, it, here's the sad, tragic twist part. You can look at it in the text where it simply says this. So here comes Jesus. Jesus is coming back to his own. And here's what John says. He says he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is where, if you're a scholar or if you've maybe heard, been in a New Testament class, this is where people say, John, is, he seems anti-Semitic. Is this like a, a slight against the Jews? And I think that is not what he's getting at. I think what he's trying to get at is he's, he's got a piercing insight into your heart into my heart. And here's what it is. Here's another way to say this. That Jesus showed up, he showed up to his people, the people who belonged to him by rights, the rights of creation, and they didn't want him. And here's the hard part. It wasn't that they didn't want, it wasn't that they wanted nothing. It was that they didn't want him. And I think if you know even a little bit, this is why you're never going to be moved toward Jesus unless you know your own heart. And if there's a little bit of sobriety in you, if there's a little bit of self-awareness in you, then you know this is true about you. That maybe you've played the game, especially it's so easy to do in youth group, right? Like every time this year I get emails, phone calls, texts from concerned parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, all over. This is the time of year where I get those emails, uh, calls, and texts. And they're all the same thing. There is parents or grandparents or whoever very, very concerned that their child is coming to college to this crazy dark place. And they're going to experience a professor like the professors, like the characters in God's Not Dead 1 and 2. There were two of those. Uh, they're going to experience this, the, the most challenging time of their faith, right? They're going to experience the darkness of their roommate hitting the bong more than the books kind of a thing. And like they're so worried and freaking out. And I want to say the same thing, and I often say the same thing to each one of them, to a person, and I'll say the same thing to you. College does not change your heart. It reveals it. The thing that college does is it reveals to you what you want more than Jesus. If you, if you consider yourself a Christian, it reveals to you the thing that you want more than Jesus. And here there are so many things, right? Uh, we can say it like this. A lot of us want acceptance. We don't want Jesus. We want acceptance, right? We want for cool people to invite us to cool stuff. We want to feel him. It's what C.S. Lewis called the inner ring. We all have that part of us that longs to be in whatever perception of an inner ring that we see. I'll never forget my, I think it was my junior year, there was a uh, guy that I knew, was a freshman. He was trying to rush a prestigious fraternity at Clemson. I'll never forget him saying, he said, he went up to the brothers and said, here's what I want you to know. He said, I will crawl, if you give me a bid, I, ca- I will crawl through a football field of dog crap just to get a bid into your fraternity. And of course, they laughed at him and rejected him. But I really, I so related to that part of his heart that said, "I will humiliate myself to be in with you." And in that moment, he's saying, "I don't want Jesus; I want acceptance." And so, what happens is a lot of you had acceptance, and and maybe you had the like cool youth group, you had that acceptance, and you come to college and you don't, <coughs> and you crave it. You don't want Jesus; you want acceptance. There's more. You don't want Jesus; you want good grades, or a good resume, or both. What this means is you want. You want what perfectionism gives to you. That sweet, sweet feeling of working hard at something and then being tangibly recognized. Right? Like, who of who us doesn't want that? This is where we could say perfectionism is a hell of a drug. Because it drives us to move in that way and to look for those pats of approval, those tangible things. And that means a lot of us want it because we want to get into the prestigious grad school a lot of us want it because we want to get the prestigious internship. A lot of us want it because we want the prestigious job that lands us the prestigious lifestyle. And so we don't want Jesus. We really just want a good grades or a good resume or both. Let's try some more. You don't want Jesus. You just want a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Been there, friends. Where you're willing. You just want someone to make you feel beautiful or powerful. Or you just want someone who is just with you. Right, Who just sort of makes you feel like the two of you, or it's you, it's you two against the world. And this is why I have the conversation every semester, where no doubt, many of you, not many of you, some of you, will do the thing where it seems pretty clear to me that you love Jesus, just awesome. But then you do the, what's just called missionary dating, right? Where it's like, okay, this person is pretty attractive, and they're like, you know, kind of what I want in a person there's this thing missing from their life called Jesus, called Jesus. And we're going to just kind of ignore that for a second and like hope that works out in the end, but we're going to be together. And it doesn't matter how many conversations like I have or you have with the interns where you're saying, like, mm, this is not, the Bible's pretty clear on this whole thing. Like, you know, you kind of need to be with someone that loves Jesus too so you can love Jesus and point each other to Jesus together. But it happens. Why? Because we don't want Jesus, we want a boyfriend or girlfriend. Got two more for you, and then we're gonna ease off the gas pedal for a second. I got two more though. Here we go. You don't want Jesus. You want a good time. This one's tricky, right? Hear me say, like these are not these things are not bad things. the The problem is our hearts make good things into ultimate things. And so this one though is trickier in college because you it's not that you it's not that you don't want Jesus. It's just that you want you want Jesus plus a really good time, adventurous friends. You want exciting things happening in your life. Um, one, one of my friends, he's an RF guy at a place in California, and we were talking about this. Is why I think REF is so hard for freshmen, especially. And he said it really funny. He's like, you know, he's like, you never hear a freshman say this. You know what? I, you know what would be really incredible right now? A biblically in-depth, refreshing, Christ-centered sermon that just points me to Jesus. Let's go. Let's go. And if you, that is you, bless you. RF is your home. RF could be your jam. But, like, a lot of times it's not what we want. We want something else, a good time. And one more that hits me close to home you don't want Jesus, you want comfort. Man, this one hit me in the face this past week. I was hanging out with a friend, and there's a guy that I grew up with who is clearly over the years, he just kind of roams around Columbia. He's not homeless, but it's clear he's very mentally disturbed. And so sometimes I'll see him and we'll talk and sometimes I feel like he doesn't recognize me and then sometimes I just sort of do the comfort thing of avoiding him, right? And so this one was the most blatant. I was finishing up and I needed to go somewhere pretty fast and as he was walking up to me I did the thing that some of you introverts can hardly relate to or I just sort of did, you know don't look, don't look, don't look and just walk quickly to the bathroom and out the back door. Not proud of this. Listen, I'm not saying follow me as I follow Jesus in this moment. I'm saying we're ashamed of this moment. Well, what was happening in my heart was I I craved and valued comfort more than I wanted to display the love of Jesus. Praise the Lord that Jesus doesn't ever avoid me. That Jesus never ghosts. He doesn't ever ghost me, right? He doesn't ever just tap out of my life. Same with you. But this is the tragic part of this text: is that John is trying to show us Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Why? Because they didn't want him. And if you're honest with your own heart, there's that part of you, you love Jesus, and you do want Jesus, but there are still things that are fighting for the affections of your heart that if you're being honest with yourself, you can confess, I want that more than Jesus right now. And this text is an invitation to that. And there's one more thing I want you to see, and then we're going to wrap up. The third thing I want you to see about this text is it's, it's not just a story, it's not just a sad story, but it's actually, the, it's better than a love story. That's the best way I can say it. This is the love story that your heart longs for and craves for. This is the thing that you've been looking for, whether you know it or not. Here's how John says it. He says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw His glory. Glory is as of the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. I want to deal with that one by one. First, the Word became flesh. I love the way Eugene Peterson says it. He says, And He moved into the neighborhood. In other words, He came toward the people that he that had rejected Him. He came for those people in the first place, and then when they rejected Him and didn't want Him, He still moved and poured Himself out. For them, this is why this story is better. It's better than the Notebook. It's better than that scene where Ryan Gosling is crying and the rain is happening, and he's built this house for this girl, Rachel McAdams. It's an amazing scene. Ryan Gosling is an amazing human being. You can say that in full confidence of a masculinity. It's better than all. My wife and I just rewatched The Office. It's better than all the Jim and Pam moments that, like, my wife and I were surprised that we were ugly crying too because there's still that part of us that wants a marriage like. Jim and Pam's, maybe minus the buying and selling of houses without spousal permission. Um, it's better than all of that. Because Jesus, here's why. He's the only one who knows you. The real you. With all your flaws. With all the things that you would never put on Instagram. With all the things you would never snap about. With all the things you would never whatever about. He knows that the, the you that you're afraid when, you're, when someone's asking you, oh, what's your name? The you, the you that you're afraid to show, that we're afraid to show each other, he knows that you, and he loves you. He poured himself out for you. He went to the cross for you. He knows you in all of your shame, and yet he loves you in, in joy and in grace. And that's the thing I want you to see. Why? Because John says he is full of two things. He is full of truth and grace. He is so full of truth that he is not afraid to confront you in love about the things that are destroying your soul. This is why I, foot, I don't have footprints as a thing still. Is footprints still a thing? That little poem about, oh, the footprints in the sand. Those are were, those were where I carry you. There's this one... <laughs> years ago, there's this one that a, a Christian comic or a Christian comic strip writer did that, that had, it was that poem and then the last two frames were just these massive drag marks in the sand and Jesus said, and that's where I had to drag you for a, few, for a few hours, a few days, a few seasons and that's the way that Jesus loves us, he's not afraid to drag us from the things that are trying to kill us he loves us enough to confront us but the thing I want you to hear more, maybe more than anything tonight is he is also full of grace if you don't get anything else tonight, here's what you get. Jesus will always eternally be more full of grace than you are of sin, of bad decisions, of mess-ups. Listen, I know the first two weeks of college, if it's anything like mine, you made some maybe you've made some decisions you don't think you'd ever make. And can I just tell you that Jesus has grace. He is full of grace and he welcomes you to come and confess to him and talk to him. And for him to pour out his forgiveness in you and to change your life in beautiful ways. I'll close with this. There's a I saw. I don't know if you have a chance to see Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Mr. Rogers doc, um, uh, about the life of Mr. Rogers. He Growing up for me, he was a staple PBS show, kids show. His whole goal, he was, a he was going to be a Presbyterian minister, and then he decided to do this show for kids because he wanted to show especially kids who didn't feel very loved that they were loved. And the show really shows that. He, he, he kind of covers lots of different themes. He does it really beautifully. He is just the kindest. You know, if you ever watch the show or watch an interview with him, he just exudes this almost uh, unbelievable kindness. This almost like angelic or something. But the weirdest thing about the movie, this this little fun tidbit. I'm closing with this. Is that he was obsessive about his weight. Not in a bad way, but in a weird way. He was a huge swimmer. And every time, every morning he'd go for a long swim and then he would get on the scale and his friends who had got to experience this man with him, he stayed at the same weight his whole life or tried to, 143 pounds. And people were like, this is kind of like maybe way OCD, like what is happening here? And they finally asked, why do you care so much about being 143 pounds? And he said, he said, how many letters are in I love you? One, I, four, love, three, you. (laughs) There's so many directions that go with this. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of directions. That's obsessive about weight. Let's don't be that. Jesus freezes from that. But the point I thought was pretty, the self-control. Don't even understand that part. But there was something that was incredibly moving about him saying, I want my life to be a message of the love of Jesus. And I think what I want you to see is that, that yes, love isn't a noun. And yes, love is a verb. But I think we would say something more from this text, and it's that love is a person, and his name is Jesus. And we get to walk with him for the rest of the semester looking at what love walking among us looks like. And so I don't know that you, if you've ever known the love of Jesus, I'd love to tell you about it. If the love of Jesus has gotten stale or cold to you, I'd love, to, I'd love for it to come alive again. If you're afraid that Jesus couldn't love someone like you, man, I would love to show you the Gospel of John and show you how he loves broken people like you and me. So I'd love for you to come with me on this journey this semester. Let's pray together. Lord Christ, we thank you for the way that you do love us well. We thank you that your love for us is real and that your love for us is true and we can depend on it. So, Lord, would you convince us more and more in our hearts uh, that you are a God who loves sinners like us, those who don't have it all together, those who maybe are maybe think we do and we're full of pride that we don't even see. And would you humble us that we might receive yet more of your love? And we pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Yep, we're going we're gonna to sing that today. Please stay with me and sing the Doxology. <coughs> I'm going to put this mic down i my singing voice isn't great, but I'll start us out. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. See you next week.